you don't really know what can, what God can do. You have no concept of what God can do. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got Eric. Hey. And Tracy. Good morning. Karen. Hello. Hello. So we are recording this on the morning of October 31st. Most people think of that as Halloween. I have had a shift in my thought patterns over the last few years, and I prefer to think of it as Reformation Day. This is uh, the anniversary of when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg, Germany. And he was protesting the concept of, uh, uh, oh shoot, what did they call those? When the church would, you, you could, you, no, 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 um, indulgences, indulgences, indulgences. <laughs> you could sort of buy. <laughs> they served a lot of different purposes. I mean, in one case, it was almost like you could buy a gift certificate for yourself for future sins, <laughs> have a little sin punch card, if you will. Or one of the bigger ones, though, was the uh, the concept that you could pay money to help your loved ones get out of purgatory and and uh, into heaven. And uh, Martin Luther did not like that, and so uh, he he uh, posted he posted a challenge on the on the door, which was a common practice, I guess, at the time. The door of that church was just kind of a bulletin board for people who had concepts and ideas they wanted to talk about, sort of a very academic way of of um bringing up uh you know discussion topics and things to to debate and whatnot and uh, the church the church did not like his concept so well it eventually got him excommunicated but uh he uh he did one of the first translations of the bible into german which is uh important because you know it, it started a concept that the common man could and should have have access to the Bible, which is important to us here on the podcast, because if it weren't for that concept, uh, we wouldn't be here doing this. We'd all be having to go to church once a week and just trust that what we were being told was truth. And uh, that's not a good way to do it. And, you know, I, I suppose in some ways that really led down to all the different denominations. I mean, there's thousands of Christian denominations now, which, you know, as I was thinking about that is probably all for the good. Because if you only have one source of information constantly telling you that this is what's true, I think you have a tendency to have truth lost because nobody is able to challenge anything. Nobody is able to to consider what else might be out there. And so I guess, you know, through all those different denominations and thoughts on how the, uh, you know, what the Bible says within all of it you end up with the truth being preserved down through the ages. So I think that's kind of cool. Now, unfortunately, Martin Luther, he didn't live everything well because in his later years in life, especially he got a little mouthy about some anti-Semitic concepts and called for synagogues to be burned and things like that. So, you know, uh, not to put him up on too high of a pedestal because he did some good things, but geez, some not so great things too. Anyway, you know, I I prefer to hold people up for the the good things they do and and uh, learn from the bad things they do. And so, you know, I mean, as our by the time our listeners hear this, this uh, the, the day will be passed. But um, 
but uh, just some in for interesting trivia that there's more to October 31st than than uh, jack-o'-lanterns and candy. That kind of leads us into into what we were reading this week about Hezekiah. It does. You know, good things and some of the bad things and, you know, mm-hmm. things we could uh, try to aspire to and other things that we definitely want to take as a uh, life lesson. Yes. Yes. So let's start with some context to where we left off last week. Jerusalem had been under siege by um, Sennacherib and the Assyrians, and the Sennacherib was getting a little mouthy about uh, uh, whether or not God would protect Jerusalem, and it ended up in his eventual downfall. In fact, the, pretty much the whole Assyrian army, when when the angel of the Lord went through and, and uh, killed thousands, tens of thousands, of Assyrian soldiers, and Jerusalem was essentially left alone at that point, at least by the Assyrians. Now, Israel didn't make out so well. Israel, uh, as far as what we've read so far, is, is gone. I mean, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. But so that brings us into what we're reading this week. We're reading Isaiah chapters 38 through 43, and with a little overlap of uh, from Second Kings, primarily in my notes, is uh, chapter 20. I think, if I remember right, there was a little overlap in chapter 19. We're not going to delve into those a whole lot because most of what was written there is, is mirroring what's in um, Isaiah. But so, interestingly, with what's been going on with Judah, we find Hezekiah... He's basically on his deathbed. Bed. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I found that. I guess it sort of struck me surprising because there's been no indication of his health going bad through all of this stuff going on with Sennacherib, and it almost seemed to me like maybe some of this stuff is happening simultaneously with what we were reading last week. Did you guys kind of see that, well, or you know, the only thing that I get, got out of there was a boil. So I was <laughs> yeah. like, no, but you never know, you know, something like that untreated. Could it be like getting septic? You yeah. Know, could it have been a, you know, infection that's running rampant, multiple boils, but you know, yeah, yeah, I was good. yeah, I was going to ask you if, uh, if, a, if a boil <laughs> is generally life threatening. <laughs> Unless the thick poultice is applied. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> a fig a fig poultice i don't know i don't know what the boil was i'm not sure what the fig would do uh maybe this is just one of those situations where god says here do something really weird because i want you to and just have faith in faith. me yep <laughs> just have faith in, in in god over this thing and that really is the point of isaiah chapter 28 and like i said some overlap but in uh the first part of second kings where Hezekiah, he's just sick and dying. And God, through Isaiah, tells him it's time to put his affairs in order. Uh, Hezekiah, true to his type, as he's been showing us, he immediately just goes to God with this and starts to praying to God. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I, I kind of thought it was interesting how he seems to be trying to remind God of his loyalty I think it's one of those things where you just try to justify everything you did to to get a pass. And I think in, in this instance, it worked. You know, but I look at it and there's always I pull out like little bits and pieces and I was doing some extra reading and listening to a few different sermons. And and it just it even starts out in 38, 38, where God says, set your house in order. 
mm-hmm. you know, I think that says a lot to be prepared. Be prepared when your time is up on this earth to, you know, do you want to leave things in shambles for your family and that kind of thing? No, right. you know, try to be prepared with it. Yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> I'm I'm not quite 50, <laughs> unlike some redheads in the in, in, on the show. Uh, hey. Oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud? Edit room floor. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 interesting. I was hearing on the radio, um, and it's, it's not like this is anything new on the radio, but um, you know, the idea of of having your your funeral preparations all you know made and ready to go, so that your loved ones don't have to do that when it's your time. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, it, I've heard these before, but now I'm starting to pay attention to them. <laughs> I hopefully have a few years before that becomes really important, but uh, thanks for helping me feel my mortality there. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's sort of what God is saying here. It's time yeah. to, it's time to get your household in order. Make sure it's, make sure things are, are ready to go. You know, you don't want, you know, in our society, if you don't have things ready to go, I mean, I guess what it goes to your next again, your, your spouse or your children or what, whatnot, but you know, I mean, there's times if you don't have things in order, then the government comes in and decides and, you know, who who likes that? I certainly wouldn't like that. But, yeah, so Hezekiah is is kind of reminding God, and I say reminding because, of course, God knows. But <laughs> Hezekiah is kind of like, hey, I've, you know, I've been very loyal to you. Why why is this happening now? And um, God does an interesting thing where he tells Hezekiah, well, oh, OK, I'm going to give you another 15 years. And he promises that he's going to deliver uh, Jerusalem from the king of Assyria, which is why I said some of this seems to be simultaneous with what we were reading last week, where uh, where where uh, Sennacherib was was uh, putting Jerusalem under siege. So he he promises that this can happen. And then there's talk of a sign. Now, in uh, Second Kings, it seems like Hezekiah gets a choice of what the uh, and I think this was kind of startling to Hezekiah too because then he wants a sign well how will I know Mm -hmm. you know instead of just taking it at face value and moving on it's one of those I think it's one of those faith kind of things again you know um I've done all this stuff Lord you know remember me that you know has how did he put it I walked before you in truth with a loyal heart you know the, Mm the weeping you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I honestly think when you have that kind of communication with God that it it helps. And, and you know, it's here. It helped him. It got him 15 more years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other cases that we've read before where, um, like with Moses and going into Canaan, not so much. But it's still, I think it pulled on on the heartstrings. You know what I mean? Where God mm-hmm. had to tell Moses, you know, let's not talk about this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that kind of going to God with that kind of petition, you know, helps. Yeah. And I don't I don't think you're really changing God's mind when you do that. It's more it's about, you know, when God said, get your house in order. Well, Hezekiah is also getting his heart in order. Um, you know where where he he he's reflecting back on his life and and rem, remembering that he's been loyal and and so yeah he gets a little reward here by by getting this extra fifteen years uh, 
But when he asks for that sign and God gives him a choice, he comes up with a, I don't know, to me, it's not, it's, it's not a sign I would think to ask because it's kind of a, it's a pretty big ask. He, he asks for the sundial to go back 10 degrees. Now for that to happen, you got to have some pretty miraculous stuff going on here. I, I don't know if that means somehow the world shifted back so that the sun is sitting in the, in a different uh, location in the sky. I don't know if there's just some planet. Yeah, it, it's yeah. huge, but huge. Well, I mean, I'd be like, I'd be more like to go with a fleece test and, you know, <laughs> you know, let's see some dew on the, on the fleece, you know, something a little simpler like that. Not, Hey, move, move heaven and earth for me, God, so that I know that you're going to let me live for 15 years. But I don't, I don't know if it's, it was that big because think about it. It that's how they basically kept track of time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like looking at your watch or something. I always say, and you know, we're we're not, we don't have to do that at this point. So it's not something we is in our normal everyday, you know, things of we need to check on. So I think, you know, probably with them, they were constantly looking at a sundial. Oh yeah, and, and you know, knew it. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought two things about that were interesting. One. And that might, it might just be the version that I read, but it said, you know, 10 steps on this stairwell. And it, it didn't say degrees on a sundial. It said 10 steps on this stairwell. Was that? And then the other thing it said that, I, that and this made me chuckle, was <clears throat> Hezekiah says, well, it's an easy thing to go forward 10 steps. So let's go backward 10 steps instead. And I was like, how is that? How? That easy. <laughs> I missed something there. You know, I was thinking about, I was trying to decide if there was two different stories. It must just be translation differences then, because I remember the 10 steps like you're talking about. But in my new King James, it was talking about degrees on the sundial. Right. So I'm trying to remember what what uh, translation I was re- reading with the ten steps because I was thinking, did this happen twice? But I don't know. it might have been the um, the Kings versus wasn't it was it the the way that they tell the story in Kings as opposed to Isaiah? I don't know. Anyway, mm. I was um, I just happened to be reading one. Tra- so oftentimes I skip back and forth between the different translations, but in this case, I read all the way through it in one and. It ju- and it said 10 steps on such and such a stairwell. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't read that in Kings or or Isaiah that I remember. But I don't know. It's that is interesting. Either way, though, I mean that's uh I don't know. That's a big thing to ask for. It if, is. if depending on how depending on how it was achieved, you know. If but I think even a little bit of a preview, um, we haven't quite got there yet, but is it a big thing? We want to think it's a big thing, but to God it's not. Right. right. Yeah, I'll do it. If that's yeah. what you need, I'll do it. I'll move. I'll move the planets. I'll move the sun. You know, and that's within my power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I don't know. It's just it's very it's 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 really interesting. Really interesting that uh that he got such a such a such a request uh uh granted. I wouldn't say I'm answer. thinking of the butterfly effect right now, and I'm wondering what happened around the world as a result of this. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. I mean, curiosity. That's kind of what I'm saying. You it, to get it to happen in any kind of a quote unquote natural fashion, you would have to you would have to reverse the rotation of the Earth, or change you know 
yeah. to, to get that happen. So I'm wondering. Tides, the whole deal. Right. Yeah. The effects that would have. Oh, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's pretty intense from our perspective. Um, I don't know. You know it's and fascinating. Then, and then he took it. And then he kind of goes into, like, looking at, um, when he's starting at 12, he kind of reviews his, like, lifespan and, you know, the good things, the bad things, how God's restored him and, and healed him and and brought peace. And, you know, I think he was just kind of reviewing, once again, reviewing God's greatness. Yeah. 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 And he's doing that in kind of like a, a prayer journal. Uh-huh. I was noticing this is stuff that Hezekiah is writing down. He's like writing down prayers to God. And I know some people do that. I've I've never. Well, I won't say never. I tried once to kind of do a prayer journal and I just found it difficult to write down thoughts like that and have them on paper. It seemed I don't know, it just seemed strange to me, but I know people do it. So I'm not I'm not trying to 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 downplay that. Um just uh, the idea of a prayer journal is is interesting to me, but just not one that I've been able to keep up myself. Uh, any you guys? Any you guys do prayer journals? I would say I was probably like you. I've dabbled. Yeah, yeah. You, you play at it. You try it. You're like, okay, but uh, I don't know. No, my I'm, I'm I think I've done that one time in my life. I in general am not a journaler of any type. So yeah. But I did I did try doing a prayer journal, and I did it for like three or four months, and. And then I didn't anymore. Yeah. So I don't know. Some people really find a lot of value in, in prayer journals. And, uh, you know, if it floats your boat, go for it. And because uh, some people say it's great to be able to look back and see where where God has led through through that. And, uh, so, yeah, I say go for it. But uh, Hezekiah is in his journal. He seems to be mostly concerned about dying young. I don't know how old he was, but uh, his concern was like, was was about dying young, and I guess that's I, I suppose I would say that's my would be my biggest concern dying before you really lived. Um, what do you consider young, though? You know, when you start getting up to your seventies or eighties, you know, are you like I'm not ready, or are you thinking, well, I've lived a pretty good life? I don't know, but um, I always think that you probably feel that there's more that you can do and more that you can accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, who's also pertains to you know how your health is. You know, yeah. is, it, is it a struggle every day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have known, I've known a few people that as they get, as they're getting older and their health is failing, that they're, they're like, okay, I'm ready. I could, you know, God could, I could go now and be fine, you know, and then other people, other people are terrified at their whole life and, uh, which is sad. I think that's sad too. Um, like but, a quality of life kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting that uh, it's usually a different perspective on whether people believe in God or not. The people who don't believe in God, from what I've seen, usually are a little less willing <laughs> to die than others. Um, because to them, they believe that it's just a finality. It's all, all done. And uh, people who believe that God will restore them at some point, they're like, OK, I'm ready. Because when time comes, you know, I'm. I'm going to be restored. Everything's going to be great. So, yeah. Anyway, so the prayer journal, basically, he he's he uh, does express some concern about dying young, but he knows that God is in control and that even if uh, he's going, if it's going to end here, it's God's will that it's going to happen. But he is looking for God, for intervention from God. But 
Then he expresses some belief that God will grant life and that he delivers from corruption, uh, putting sin behind him. He, in verse 18, does bring out that the dead have no way to praise or thank God. Once you're dead, uh, you are done praising anything, which is (laughs) sort of interesting when we're we're recording this on the morning of Halloween, when uh, a lot of people's thoughts are moving towards those sort of things. But, uh, you know, according to Hezekiah and according to other parts of the Bible, it's like, well, when you're when you're dead, you do not have any way to praise or think or interact or anything with uh, anything that's going on in the world. But it's uh, in verse 19, it's the living who serve God. And he expresses that God is willing to save him. So Hezekiah is going to praise God for the rest of his life. And then in uh, Isaiah 38, then this is when Isaiah shows up and says, hey, put a poultice on that boil with some figs. And, uh, I, I, I think you need to put that into your 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 retinue of things to prescribe there, Tracy, for your patients. Boil some figs uh, right off the right off the table. Yep. Just uh, I don't I don't know. I Think of the lives you will change, Tracy. Think of the lives you will change. <laughs> well, if we've learned anything, we know that God doesn't generally <laughs> do things twice the same time. So uh, it could be that uh, you decide to put a boil on somebody or uh, a fig on somebody's boil, you might just infect them or something. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Um, I was meaning to do that too. I have a little note here. I was like, look up if there's any uh, benefit to figs, but I didn't get that far this week. Yeah, I know they're tasty. Yeah, kind of sweet. We'll go give it that. Ah, well, some envoys come. So I guess I guess I should say that uh, Hezekiah does. Well, we already did. He gets that extra fifteen years of life, and um. So some envoys come from Babylon. Now, this is, uh, I think it's, this is a place where maybe Hezekiah could have shown a little extra wisdom that he sort of, he just sort of uh, forgot about here. Kind of goes back to what you said. You know, you do some good things and then there's other things you can improve upon. Mm -hmm. And he missed out on a great opportunity because once again, like we've said so many times before, um, going through the Bible is... Self showed up. Yes. Yes. So Merodach Baladan, that's how I'm going to pronounce his name, who is the prince of Babylon. He sends some letters and a gift to Hezekiah because he'd heard that he'd been sick. So, hey, nice, you know, nice of a neighbor to to uh, send a little something, something when you're not feeling great. It's always nice when people remember you. But when these envoys show up, Hezekiah decides to go show these guys everything of value that he has in the kingdom and that's probably not so great he shows them the silver and the gold and the spices and the ointments and he shows them the armory shows them everything i was listening to a sermon this week and they said after being healed like that couldn't hezekiah have just sang the praises of god and try to maybe convert is not the best thing to use, but, you know, spread that message opposed to look at everything that, you know, we've amassed in our our financial statements and how much gold and silver and, you know, the armory and gold shields and that kind of thing. Instead of doing that and just letting somebody know that maybe, you know, and we don't know, did they already have, you know, ideas of taking over the world? Yeah. That's my guess. 
as optimistic, I, I noticed that also. I thought it was very odd. I thought it was a complete like swing and a miss kind of a thing. As optimistic as I got was, well, maybe he was doing it to show how God had blessed them. But it just seems so off, just off from what he should have been talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's a fair thing to think that, hey, I'm going to show how God has has blessed me. But when you are the ruler of a nation and you start showing people from the other nations in a time, especially when everybody's constantly attacking each other and you show him, this is exactly how much wealth I have. This is exactly what I have for weaponry. This is exactly what I have for, for all of this stuff. Um, not, not the greatest wisdom, but he doesn't seem to be thinking about it until Isaiah shows up and says, what did you show them? And Hezekiah's like, hey, everything. I showed him everything. 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 And uh, this is when Isaiah kind of wises him up. And he's like, you know, there's the time. The time days are coming. when Babylon is going to come in and take all of it. Uh, he's like, even some of your sons will be eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. And this <laughs> is what his response totally yeah. heard me. Yeah. He's like, it's, what? Well, at least it won't happen when I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I read that, I'm like, come on, Hezekiah. Are you serious? Well, apparently he is. It's like, well, at least at least while I'm king, everything's going to be great. Uh, mm, way to think about your kids there, Hezekiah. But uh, I don't know. I'm back to the promise that God made that, you know what, with David and his love for David and his family that, you know what, I'm not going to do this because of my servant David. So yeah, I mean that's where that's where this sort of leaves, and then you know the 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 the, the text sort of shifts away then from the narrative, and it gets into a lot more of whole. Uh, we start getting into a lot of prof- prophetic things that Isaiah is talking about that are going to happen for the you know in the next few chapters, and well, I mean I guess he's just he's just told Hezekiah that Babylon is going to take over everything. But then when we get into uh, chapter 40, we get into some, 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 some different things being written here in the text about uh, how things are going to happen down the road. And not, not so much specifically, but it's kind of an interesting back and forth of more comforting things and then more, I don't know, I'll say harrowing things that uh, people should be, be more concerned with. But it starts with God's, uh, that God's people will be comforted. Comfort for Jerusalem. Once they've come through their struggles that have been brought on by their sins, then that's a, that's a concept that has been uh, expressed a lot from what we've been reading is that that our struggles generally are brought on by sin. And usually, uh, it seems like the worst of our struggles are brought on by our own sins. Of course, you know, we live in a sinful world, and so everybody's sins affects everybody else. But in this case, it's definitely talking about how they they they'll they'll eventually get comfort, uh, and this is knowing knowing that there are struggles coming, and for Jerusalem, those struggles are going to come primarily through Babylon. Uh, Isaiah forty verse three had a had had an, uh, a familiar text talking about the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is. This is uh, kind of a, well, this gets brought back up in the New Testament with uh, 
John the Baptist, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The idea, you know, there's a there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that gets talked about in these next few chapters about the Messiah, and I always wonder how. I always wonder how these things were taken when they were originally brought out, because we have hindsight and can apply these things to the life of Jesus. Did they understand at the time that this is looking forward to Messiah? I don't know. But yeah, this vo- the voice of one crying in the wilderness and there eventually is going to be blessing in the land and everything's going to be ideal. Uh, verse five said the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. You get into verses six and eight in Isaiah, which talks about how the flesh is grass, how our our con, our human condition, the f- the fleeting nature of our human condition, you know, we get our seventy or eighty years or more if you're lucky, but um, but really we're just kind of here for a while and we're gone and we wither and we fade, but the word of God stands forever. That's interesting, you know, because our perspective, our perspectives. To us, every you know, everything we go through is everything. You know what I mean? Right. We, you know, when I try to think of a concept of forever, well, the, the the most the longest time period I can accurately conceive is 49 and a half years, because that's how long I've been alive, you know. And as you get older, it seems like time goes faster. You remember when you're a kid how you know between Christmases it seemed like it would uh, it would be forever. It's like Wow, you know, it's been a whole year, and now you're where like, oh man, it's a year already, you know, and and I uh, mean, it's it's not like we're unaware that there are other perceptions of this, that, and the other thing. It's just that we haven't lived those ourselves. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but this, but this, the word of God standing forever through all of that, it should put a perspective, give us a perspective of of remembering that everything we know isn't everything. We we have our we have our little our our little blinders on and we see what we're able to see. But there's been there's been so much before us, there's so much that'll happen after us, and God's God's word is constant, it's consistent through all of it. Um his his precepts don't change, his the way he rules the universe doesn't change. You know, we can pray like Hezekiah. And say, hey, 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 I've been loyal to you. You know, why why am I dying now? But we're not really changing God's mind about anything. It's more it's more of us getting in tune with what God has has planned. And uh, so it's important to remember that um, our part here, as important as it seems to us, our part here is pretty small. Dust in the wind. <laughs> dust in the wind. Yeah, it's Karen, sorry, covering Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, not too many people are going to actually experience pivotal moments in the history of the world or be part of be part mm-hmm. of that happening. Like we're we're tiny little blips, and our impact is small, and our vision is small. Even when we think it's big, it's small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a call for Jerusalem to bring their attention back to God. It's been it's been it's been questionable for quite a while in what we've been reading about how much attention they have given to God in this, you know, this holy city in the holy land, as we can think of it now for sure. How it's like it's like Jerusalem has just been sort of holding on by a thread 
with any kind of loyalty to God, with all of the idolatry going on and the kings, you know, looking over to other kingdoms for for help instead of looking to God. And uh, so this this call to Jerusalem to bring their attention back to God. And I think this must be knowing that there's stuff coming down specifically from Babylon. Uh, this is a, you know, you guys better start getting your minds in order. You really need to start putting your trust where it belongs because it's what's coming is not going to be pretty. And you are in desperate need of some correction. And right now would be a good time to start thinking about what you need to, uh, where, where you need to be having your mind set. You know, and it could be too, just like, we seem to think they they were so separate and so far apart and people didn't know what was going on in the, on the other side of the world or, you know, that kind of outside of their gates, but there could be, you know, maybe they had heard that Babylon was already on the march and, you know, taking countries and taking mm-hmm. over, you know, and just to let them know that, you know what, this is at your doorstep, yeah. get your, your, uh, how did he put that? Get your affairs in order, get your house in order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know what? That is interesting because of where, you know, considering where we started the reading for this week and, and and it's like, okay, Hezekiah, get your house in order. Now it's like, hey, Jerusalem, get your house in order. It's a, like a continuing theme through it. And, and um, because maybe, like you say, maybe they knew that, Bab- of course, they had to have known that Babylon was out there and doing stuff and, 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 uh, and was going to be a threat. So it seems like seems like they probably would have known it wouldn't. It's not like these guys would show up, march up and and maybe everybody be like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> it talks about how God will come with a reward and he, and he'll lead his people like a shepherd, which is is good, is always good to remember that uh, there's after the bad times, there's always going to be God there and to 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 bring you back. No one can calculate God's abilities. There's some of this here in Isaiah, specifically, I was looking at 12 through 14. It, it seemed to echo some stuff that we read in Job, where it's kind of like, you know, who who are you to try to dictate or try to, um, you know, how, how God, how God works? Because nobody can calculate his abilities. You don't really know what, what God can do. You have no concept of what God can do. And even, you know, creation creation itself is just way too vast for you to be able to encapsulate it all and you know predict predict anything you don't and especially at you know the time their scientific knowledge was pretty limited but uh, you 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 don't know how god works and you have nothing that you can teach god that's important to to remember again when i think back to hezekiah trying to remind god or in his prayer, reminding God of his loyalty is like, well, you, you, you really don't have an influence on God. You know, I wonder too, and I heard this on that sermon that I was listening to, was he really trying to remind God? Was it for God or was it for him? Was it it self-justification for him to say, you know what, haven't, maybe, you know, sometimes just by making it into a question form, you might not be so much reminding him, but bringing it to your recollection. Mm-hmm. Well, haven't I been a good person? You know, haven't I tried to do that? But, you know, you just never know. I, I almost wonder if it wasn't for self. Yeah. Well, I think most prayer actually is, you know, when we're 
because like I said, we don't change God's mind. We don't, um, I don't know. You know, it, it, it is an interesting, I don't know if I want to call it a slippery slope. Uh, that wouldn't be correct. But it is an interesting um, study in prayer. When we pray for things that we want God to do, we want him to act, you know, we're asking him to act away in our life. As as if we're trying to sway him sometimes, but like I said, he's he's got a he's got a way he's going to go. But then you start talking about things like intercessory prayer, where you are praying for people who maybe aren't praying for themselves, and you're praying on their behalf. I don't know. I don't know how how that all works. I'm not going to pretend to know how it works. I just know that we need to pray and and be working towards getting our minds in tune with what God has going on. And so like, I have that, I have that same dilemma. Like I, I wish that I understood better the mechanism of prayer. I understand that we're told to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I sometimes can't make sense of the circumstances under which it's encouraged or why, or things like that. And, like I believe in the supremacy of God's will, and so some of that stuff gets kind of difficult for me. But I know that we're told to do it. I just mm -hmm. sometimes have trouble understanding how how to do it. Yeah, because there's been times when I've heard pe I've heard people say, and 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 I try to wrap my brain around this, but there are times when your intercessory prayer, quote unquote, allows God to act in areas that He otherwise wouldn't or i'm gonna say yeah couldn't i i i i i'm always reluctant to say couldn't when we're talking about god but you know there's just there's something about intercessory prayer where our prayers they somehow unlock something they somehow grant a permission to god i don't know i don't know exactly how that works i don't know exactly what it means but I know that those are things that I've heard where if we pray for other people, it's somehow grants. I don't know. It's it, it it's hard to put into words because I yeah. don't want to overstep my bounds. <laughs> I don't want to overstep the meaning. But how it somehow grants God like permission to work in areas that he otherwise wouldn't have. And maybe mm -hmm. that's within whatever rules and boundaries that he's placed upon himself in order to remain just because, um, you know, I think it's safe to say that God would work in all of our lives, every opportunity he could. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I have a hard time with it. I think this is maybe where free will comes in is that, mm -hmm. um, God does not force himself in any way on anyone. And if we have asked for others, on their behalf, if they are either unaware or otherwise, then that may play a role in free will. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 Free will. That I mean, that's a that's a factor in all this too. Is you know, when we pray for somebody else, we have we you know how how does their how does their will play into it too? You know, if did they did they did they want the the um, the interaction did they want the huh i don't know i don't know i'm getting caught and then i wonder too if it's not showing that love for one another that you know what you're willing to to 
conversate with God about somebody else's ills or, you know, things that are going on in their life and just showing that that true love for another human being. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's probably why intercessory prayer is so important is because it makes us think about others. It's really easy for us to pray for the things we want and need. Oh God, I've got a I've got a rough day at work ahead of me. Go go with me. Oh, I'm not feeling so good today. God, can you heal me? But when I've got to think about somebody else, that puts me more into what I'm going to call a God mindset of being more aware of the, of what's going on in the world other than just myself. Cuz it's not all just about me. It's about all of us. And when we can stop and think about other people and their needs, their concerns, it puts us into a it puts us into a place to uh, just be more compassionate, more I don't know, just aware, just staying aware of other people's needs is so important, and put you know trying to trying to help other people to have uh, relief from their troubles and struggles and. Um, Hmm. Yeah, but so I guess where I started with all this was the idea that we can't teach anything to God. We can't change God's mind about anything. Um, and so when we get into this concept of intercessory prayer, are we are we ask, asking him? Are we trying to convince him or are we really convincing ourselves? And I think maybe that's the biggest part of it. And when we're convincing ourselves, God acts on our behalf. I don't know. It's an interesting it's an interesting study and we're probably not going to get it hashed out in <laughs> in a couple of minutes here or probably a lifetime if we're perfectly honest. Well, yeah. 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 It's, uh yeah. Well, I mean that's what we're talking about. We can't we can't calculate God's abilities. That's the whole point of of that discussion, isn't it? The narrative talks about how the nations are insignificant compared to God. We think about our think about our world course you know my greatest perspective is now and in our lifetimes we've seen things like the cold war going on and we see now uh you know struggles that like specifically the united states has with uh some of the middle eastern countries and their organizations i mean i think you know things like taliban and uh some of those sort of things and that seems to be very all-encompassing. It seems to be uh, so very important. But these things that draw our attention all the time, they're, st- they're really small. When you, in, in, in context of God's abilities and God's uh, influence in the world and, well, just his existence. Uh, a- anything that happens on this planet in the few thousands of years that mankind has been on it um since god created us we're a little blip in eternity and uh, our struggles our conflicts even on a national level are very small compared to god yeah for sure and so then we get into this concept of of idolatry which has obviously been the issue in that area for a long time and how how could an idol ever compare to god you know these things we create and then we set it set it up on a pedestal and sometimes literally pray to them and and 
you know, seek some sort of inter- intervention or try to seek. I mean, I think modern day idolatry is more trying to find happiness in in the idols that we create for ourselves, which whatever those might be, entertainment or or uh, possessions or, you know, or whatever. And how could those things ever compare to God? God is the one with the power. God is the one who has the ability to make things change. God is the one who uh, has you in his heart and is wanting to work for you. Whereas a little piece of wood that you carved or uh, a hunk of metal that sits in your garage or uh, your favorite football team, anything those, any happiness, anything that those could bring to you is superficial and fleeting and has no great, no great uh, influence on any of us. Yeah, I would take I would take what you said and and stretch it a little bit beyond happiness too. I think idolatry can easily be um, the trappings of religion or the trappings of any human system that we identify with mm-hmm. or try to use to justify ourselves and others. Not that they don't have their place, but when we start to put those first, I think that's when it becomes an issue. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a little wider than just our things that we're looking at for our happiness. Yeah. Well, yeah, and even the concept of idolatry is so broadened beyond just, you know, uh, something on a shelf or, you know, something you can physically place into an alcove of your house and and literally kneel down in front of it. It's it's way broader than that. It's anything that you end up putting uh, the importance in front of God before God and thinking that that you're going to have much anything of real value come from it. And so you have to kind of shift your ideas of what those values are. I think one of the things that we see happening with with this whole story of Hezekiah and uh, Sennacherib and Israel and Judah is that they're not only idolizing the idols in a religious sense, but these idols become um, where they seek refuge and salvation. And that is related to their political alliances and so on you know god says over and over don't turn to egypt um don't don't look to these other things and as we as we take that to a modern context i think that yes idolatry can in fact include um uh, hollywood stars music stars sports teams um automobiles car houses real estate portfolios you name it, it can do all those things, but mm-hmm. I think it can also encompass where do we put our hope? And I believe that one of the one of the things that we've put our hope in, I'll just rattle off a few politics. If mm-hmm. we've got the right uh, political thing, that's where our hope is. Um, science, science will solve everything for us. Um, <laughs> and we we have. It's, it's anything that we put our faith in that isn't God to ultimately save us. Now, that does not mean these days it's a very popular thing. It's like my faith is, is in Jesus. And I put it that way is that Jesus is my seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm not going to obey the speed limits. I'm not going to wear a seatbelt. I'm not going to pay attention to anything because Jesus has my back. I won't take any of the steps that could otherwise help me or anyone else. And I don't think that that's 
that's not the same thing. It's kind of like, I'm just going to eat Twinkies and drink Coke. Jesus is my health. He's my health <laughs> plan. You know, I just, I have a hard time seeing that as um, a valid thing. Now, flip side of that is I'm going to only eat, you know, kale. And therefore, what I do is going to save me. And in a way, that's a bit of idolatry. Is it's like, I'm doing this. I'm earning this. And God, now you owe me, right? I did these things for you. And now you have to come through for me because, and that is just a form of idolatry. See, what they used to say, well, I'm sacrificing this goat or calf to whatever God it was or our children. And and now you owe me, right? I did this for you. Now you have to do that for me. And Christians can do that same thing. And that is just a different form of idolatry. And it's just, that's not valid today either. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's a slippery slope. Like you're saying, who would ever think that Jesus could cut, could be an idol for us? You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't immediately think that, but I like, I like that you put that inflection on it because, uh, it does sort of put that perspective on, on, on it of, uh, just you know remembering that okay yes god is a real god and uh you know we interact we interact with him for our good and uh you know he's given it he's given us wisdom to follow and we got to follow the wisdom we can't we can't just assume that uh that uh everything's just going to be taken care of for us because uh <laughs> because Jesus is on our side. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with a lady after church one day and she said, um, yeah, my, uh, my day was really chaotic yesterday. Um, you know, I bounced several checks and, uh, my car and I had slid off the road into the ditch on the ice. Mm. That's when I lived in Alaska because, you know, it was slick out and I hadn't bought snow tires and, and, and so now I had a wrecked car and, you know, not too damaged, but kind of wrecked car. And I still needed snow tires. And, and then like these two checks bounced and, and man, so, so my car's in the shop and I was like, well, I need to go to church tomorrow. So like, I, I, you know, they, they called me up and told me the total bill was going to be $2,200. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, go ahead and start working on it. And, and then I was like, okay, God. I need to go to church tomorrow. So how are you going to get me the money for this? And and I was like, like, I just remember staring at her with my mouth open, trying to figure out if she had more faith than I did, or if she was an absolute lunatic, you know, and I <laughs> not going to lie. I don't know if I ever really figured that out, but yeah, it's, it's very strange. It's very strange. The places we put our faith to what degree and which, which oftentimes can be judged by what happens when those systems that we were leaning on fail or show fluctuation in results. Like maybe they're not the guarantee we thought they were. And so like, where do we put our faith? To what degree? How do we respond when they fail or sort of fail? That those are some very truth telling moments that are different for each person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think we probably all know those people who have their, their faith in Jesus. It, it just sounds it just seems so strange because we're like, yes, of course, have faith in Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Have faith in the God of the universe to to guide you and direct you and get you through your struggles. But do we stop and think, you know what? Did God ever tell me 
put some money aside. Did God ever tell me, take your vitamin C? Did God ever tell me, go exercise? You know, things like this. Yeah, I figure. I feel like I owe it to, to step in here since I think I started this. Is that, I, I don't mean that in a sacrilegious sense or that, that, oh. that God won't help us. And I know you don't mean that, but just right. to our listeners, that the idea is that if we do not, this is a sowing and reaping world. Jesus uses that um, analogy and metaphor all the time in the Gospels, is that if we don't take any interest or care or effort in where we are, we will we will reap that. I mean, just we just read this in Isaiah, too. He's talking about to, to Israel and Judah. You you sowed the whirlwind, you know, so you're going to you're going to reap it. And. Those things are, we live in a sowing and reaping world, and the things that we can get our hands on, the things that we can have influence on in our lives are, in fact, we can influence those things. Yeah, like you said, can we take steps for our health? Yes. Can we, you know, take some proactive steps in our finances? Yes. Can we, you know, on and on and on. And when we fail to do those things that are within our reach and then we say, ah, God will just take care of it. Cause you know, I was just too busy watching Netflix to, you know, to be involved in my own life. Mm-hmm. Then, then that is, I don't think that's faith. That's presumption. And I think we have gotten confused about that in so many ways. Um, and that's, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a difference between faith and presumption. And a lot of what people put forward as faith is probably presumption. Um, and when I say Jesus is my seatbelt, that's kind of my metaphor is I'm not going to click my seatbelt on because he'll take mm-hmm. care of it. You know, the things that I could have done, I won't do. Um, and I'll expect him to pick up what I could have done, but didn't do. And yeah. that's, that's what I mean by that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, then that sort of moves us on to where the where the uh, where the chapter continues. We're saying, why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? It, it, to, to me, I mean, in the context of how we've been talking about this now, it's like, how you, you know, you hear people saying, oh, God's just not listening. God's not listening. And um, maybe the question is, well, were you? Have you been listening? Like you're saying, Eric, did you did you put your seatbelt on? Did you follow the did you follow the the speed limit? You know, did you take precautions? Did you use the wisdom that God gave you, you know, for your own benefit? Or or are you just now you're just deciding, well, God's just not listening. God's not listening. Because God is saying, How can you say that? How can you say that I don't know what you're going through? How can you possibly say that? I've been talking to you the whole time. I have been constantly trying to direct you. I have been constantly trying to give you wisdom and knowledge that will be good for your life. And you have continually chosen not to listen. You have continually chosen not to hear. So kind of like God saying, hey, don't put this on me. Don't put this (laughs) on me. (laughs) I've been here the whole time and you have not been paying attention. See, but I think we want to do that just as humans that we want to, and maybe a tone is not the right word to use, but for a life of mistakes, we want that one, that one prayer to, to cover it. Heal me. 
mm-hmm. you know, even though I haven't been doing what I've been doing. Now, can it be done? Sure, because I don't, I don't think we should put limits on God like that. But I think we also have to be realistic about it and, and go back to self and say, have I been doing what I needed to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and I yeah. think that's the, the hard reality that people don't want to face is, are you really doing what you should have been doing? Yeah. Is that kind of like where you spend um, a decade straight eating your a decade straight eating your way into being overweight, and then you go to the gym for a week and you despair because because it you didn't don't change like you did in high school? Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I lose thirty pounds when I did sixteen sit-ups? <laughs> <laughs> I used my stomach muscles. Where are my results? <laughs> why why does my body ache so bad after working out and I haven't lost any weight? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, but why how could why how could you say that God hasn't been listening to you? And and it goes back into his understanding is unsearchable. That was interesting. His understanding is unsearchable. You have no concept. You really have no concept of what God understands about you. I think that's, you know, we a lot of times don't understand what we understand about ourselves. We don't know. We don't understand everything about ourselves, even about the way we ways we think and do and and um, how how we interact with the world. I mean, I'm sure, Karen, in your education and your current occupation. You you probably maybe get a better concept of this than any of us, the rest of us here, of people just don't, they don't understand the way they work. Mm-hmm. They don't understand. Yeah. You know, and, that is um, a fact. I, I, yes. And in fact, while I was listening to you talk, I was thinking, how many hours this week did I spend talking to people and very gently trying to help them to connect the dots? within their own thoughts and feelings and behaviors, and then the results of those behaviors. Like if I were to break that down to a percentage of my work week, what would that be? Holy crap, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it is It is interesting to me how often, and I don't know if it's ignorance, I don't know if it is just misunderstanding, but how often we blame outside forces for things happening in our lives when really it's us. Several years ago, I was working with a guy and he would get so upset. My girlfriend didn't do my laundry. Uh, (laughs) Dude, (laughs) you know, you could do it too, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, things like that where he's, his, I, when people are putting their, their bad experiences onto others. You know, but in some in some references, just like you're saying now, it's easier to blame somebody than to to look inward. Yeah. 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 But but so so often, I mean, unless you really stop and have a lot of introspection, and even then, we still don't understand a lot about ourselves. And so when we're trying to say, oh, God just doesn't understand, it's like, whoa, 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 you have no concept. You have no concept of what God understands. You know, can we possibly even consider if we say God knows everything, God understands everything. Do we know what that means? Do we even know what that means? You know, how can we possibly have a concept of everything? It's fascinating. So I have some favorite sections from what we read for this week. Mm -hmm. And one of them is sort of standing out as I'm listening to us talk here. And it's in um, it's in Isaiah 42. 
and it starts in verse six, it's verses six or eight, and it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. <clears throat> so everything we're talking about is like the self-absorbed, tuned out blindness that comes from being distracted by planet earth and the mess that our human lives are. God sits above it all. He sees without time. He sees us as he intended us to be, how sin interacts with our physical frame, our emotional makeup, our chemical makeup, our choices. He sees all of that and he calls rank on it. He calls rank. He's like, no, give it to me. I can handle it. In um, 41, verse 10, it says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a pretty famous verse. But like how many times over these these chapters that we're reading where it's like, and, and then further, you know, in Jesus teaching, do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? You know? And it's like, are you paying attention to what is actually happening instead of being distracted by smaller, lesser things and leaning on them for your strength? Yeah, and that's a that's a message that we get over and over through the reading this week of of um, you know the things that God is doing for us, the thing that He's 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 there to redeem, He's there to renew, He's there uh, to ultimately make things better. Yeah. So, so 40, Isaiah 40 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole, in the whole Bible. And if you guys will let me, I would like to just read a few texts, a few verses yeah. from it. It's like eight verses. Mm -hmm. um, so this is starting in verse 18 and then 21 through 28. So it says, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. So this reminds me of Job. Remember how we read the entire book of Job and we kept commenting like, wow, they, you know, they're saying all this stuff and they're kind of pontificating to each other back and forth and they're throwing their opinions around and they're trying to discuss like whose fault is Job's illness and where did it come from and what's the remedy? And none of them are entirely wrong, but they all kind of miss the big picture. And none of them give credit to a force for active evil in the world. 
that's a to me that remains a good example and and when and when job takes those questions to god god's response is similar to these questions here don't you know who did all this i did this i did this this is my purview like i understand this in ways that you you don't even know are possible to understand it and so where it's easy for us down here in the in the in the muck of the world it's easy for us to get distracted by the things that are right in front of us like again, and we keep talking about this week after week, the continual call is to look upward. Trust the one that sees the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Don't get so caught up in the details of your little timeline. Are we supposed to live the best that we know how? Yes. Are we Are we going to get it right? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, should we still do the best that we can? Yes. Should we cling to God with every fiber of our beings? Yes. Because mm-hmm. that is the real answer. You know, yeah. reach out. We all have a splash zone. Like, reach out and do what we can. But don't lean on ourselves to be the final answer. You know, always look to God. Don't lean on the trappings of the earth around us, the organizational structures that we've set up to try to manage this or handle that or diminish evil here or promote good there. You know, just just don't. Like, those are all valuable things here on planet earth, but none of them are the answer. Yeah, which is why it's important for us to also remember, you know, when we talk about God's understanding being unsearchable, is the way it was put on 20, verse 28 in uh, New King James, his understanding is unsearchable. Mm-hmm. We we don't understand what God knows. We don't understand. We have no concept. We have no concept of what that is. And uh, we do need to be able to just trust, put trust in him. And um, so here on earth, like I spent, um, I spent, 24 years working in the legal field. And one of the one of the interesting things that would continually happen was that people would come in. So the, the legal field, the justice system, as it's set up in America, is a system of laws. And these laws apply to this, and those laws apply to this thing over here. And if you're in the system and you understand it, it makes sense. If you're outside of the system, it is a pile of gibberish and you don't know where to start. A huge pile of gibberish and you don't know where to start. So like my little tiny human experience that is the closest thing to what these verses are saying about God is that people would continually contact me, whether I worked in law firms or whether I worked in the local courthouse or whatever, people were continually contacting me and they would bring this massive tangled pile of yarn that was their life or their situation. And they would plop it down in front of me and they would say, help. Like they did not know how to articulate what they needed. They just knew they needed help. And that this system that I worked in was supposedly the thing that could help them. And it was my job as the one in the system who understood it to tease out the ends of yarn to figure out you know, which ones were important and which ones weren't, and to get them steered in the right direction. So as a resource in a system that is fairly incomprehensible to people outside of it, that is my best reference point to what God must think looking down on us, trying to muddle our way through this stuff and try to come up with solutions and figure out where to, where to step up and when to step back and when to leap out in faith and when to work harder. You know, like that was... And 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 oftentimes the thing I had to teach people when they came in was even what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. All they knew was this is a mess and I need help. Yeah. So mm-hmm. kind of interesting. 
It is interesting. Uh, it, and it's interesting, too, how sometimes we have to get so low before we understand we need the help and need that outside perspective to say, OK, this is sort of why you are where you are now. And then you have to ask yourself, OK, am I going to accept that? Am I going to accept my responsibility in it? Am I going to accept that I that a big part of why I'm where I am is because of the decisions I've made, the actions I've taken over my life? Um, or do I just continue to blame it all on outside forces? Uh, very yeah, interesting, interesting. Hopefully, we hope we hope that those times when we're forced to look outside of ourselves that we, we can see um, that uh, that uh, we've been culpable in a lot of our own issues. Now, a favorite verse of mine that wraps up verse forty or chapter forty. I'm sorry. I love this one. It's uh, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's always been a favorite one of mine, largely because of my my physical stature. Running has never been a, a strong suit for me. <laughs> I'm uh, kind of tall and bulky. And even when I was younger, I was still tall and skinny. And when I would run, man, my my feet pound the ground as I run. I just uh, I'm very awkward when I run. But uh, the, the idea of being able to run and not get uh, and not get tired has always been fascinating to me. And I, I think maybe this is talking about some literal applications down the road. Um, but I think but if there's also some allegorical concepts there of of being able to uh, go through your life with God's help and and seeing the struggles sort of melt away they just not they're not uh they're they're not what they were you know and uh when we put all of our perfect uh confidence in god and and uh can see that see the things handled by him it's it's pretty cool um let's see verse or uh, chapter 41 the, uh, the concept here of God setting up rulers again, in, in, even those even those rulers that have been in the thorns of other people's sides, you know, God set them up too. He's he's got a plan for this world and um, things happening the way they do. And you know, uh, Sennacherib and and Assyria, God set them up to be a eventually be a a corrective force on Israel. And Babylon is being set up to be a corrective force on Judah. And and this is God's working. This is was is his intention. It's happening the way he wants it to happen. Of verse eight, I like this one talking about the descendants of Abraham, his friend. Abraham when God considering Abraham to be his friend, that that was pretty cool to me. The idea that God can think of us as friends, not just not just servants. He didn't make us just to serve him. He made us as companions, friends, someone to talk to. Um, we can talk and share and collaborate and and uh, work together because the idea of friendship is very different than the idea of of servitude. Starting in verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All this power that God has, and he's willing to help us. He's willing to work for us. He's willing. And that, man, that is sort of a backwards way of thinking about a God. 
we tend to think of our service to God, but God is saying, I will serve you. I will help you. I am here to make things better for you. I am here to, to strengthen you. Just an idea of a God who wants to better our lives. It's pretty cool. Enemies and adversaries are going to be dealt with. He's going to supply. So it talks to you how he's going to supply water to the poor and needy where there is none. Probably some literal application there, but uh, just the idea of got water as refreshment and um, places where that is non-existent. That this is what God supplies. Uh, a challenge. A challenge to uh, the idols. This is kind of it was kind of fun to read, where God is uh, challenging the idols to prove themselves. Like, let's see what you can do. Present your case, he says. <laughs> and he finishes off with, yeah, you know, never mind. You're nothing. Uh, it sort of reminded me of, of the um, the showdown on was it Mount Carmel where it's like, oh, did uh, did your God fall asleep? You know, is he is he relieving himself? What is it? And then and then God showing up and saying, OK, this is the way things really are going to go. And uh, so it was kind of it was interesting just to sort of see this um, this way of God just speaking out to these idols. It's like, well, what are you going to do? Oh, never mind. Nothing. Uh, Isaiah 42, we get some pretty much, I mean, pretty much the whole chapter. It just seems like messianic prophecy talking about um, how God is going to send one. He's going to have his spirit upon him and he's going to bring justice to the Gentiles. And that, uh, that, that idea that Israel falls into, especially in the future, and probably some even at this point when we're reading, but this idea of, well, because we're the chosen ones, that we're the ones that are saved, and, um, well, the Gentiles are going to have some salvation, too. They are going to have justice, too. This uh, Messiah, it doesn't specifically spell out Messiah, but uh, like I said, looking at it with hindsight, um, he's going to bring light to the Gentiles. He's going to open blind eyes. This just an idea. That's the idea that the uh, other other than the specific literal children of of Israel are going to have some of this blessing that God is has been putting on and has promised. And and it's not just for them. It's going to be for the whole world. It is for the whole world. Verse 14, when God says, I've held my peace a long time. He's been holding back. There's been there's been need of correction for a long time, and he has been I won't say slow, but he has been waiting. He's been waiting, and now, especially in the time of Judah, now it's time for some correction. Now it's time for things to happen, and there are some destructive forces unleashed when God pulls back some of that protection that He's been keeping uh, and. Stuff is gonna is gonna start pouring in. I kind of like where where God just kind of went down the list, and once again, just how we kind of started was reminding Israel again what He's done from you know Jacob, a friend of Abraham. Um, uh, when they were going through the desert, you know, seeking water, you know, He just took them once again a stroll down memory lane to just let them know that you know what you are the chosen people, but you need to to get it right. You need to once again set your house in order, just like we started this this mm-hmm. journey today. Set your house in order. This is what I've done for you. Yeah. But yet you continue to to drop the ball. Yeah. 
Yeah, we get into verse or yeah, verse 21 uh, says that God will exalt the law and talks about how the people are in this bad place. This uh, talk, uh, refers to them as robbed and plundered and snared. And it's because nobody is asking for restoration. It says that they would not walk in his ways, nor would they be or nor would they. Nor were they obedient to his laws. They are where they are. Because they chose not to listen, they chose not to, uh, they chose not to follow the instructions that God had given them. And since they haven't listened, since they haven't acted accordingly, now it says He's poured on Israel the fury of His anger. Well, what's what is God's anger? You know, I, I have a hard time sometimes thinking of God as being quote unquote angry, especially in pouring out fury. You know, and maybe that's more of a human perspective of we see it as fury, and God is. Just stepping back and saying, well, I have to let things take their course now. I have to let I have to let you reap what you've sowed. Like Eric was saying, we're a reaping and sowing world. And Israel and Judah have been bringing this on themselves for quite a while. Chapter 43, the last chapter we read this week, reminds them that God created Israel and he's redeemed Israel. And he but he accompanies them and us through trials. He he refers to those trials in 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 this, you know sort of a, a word pictures here of waters and rivers and fire and flame and some of that is literal some of it is more allegorical, but uh, the God accompanies us through those trials. I think we've talked quite a bit here about how God doesn't always save us from the trials. In fact, rarely saves us from the trials, but He's there with us as we go through the trials. Maybe, maybe what we're going through, we deserve it. Maybe we need it, uh, but don't think you're going through it alone. God is there with you, and you keep that faith. It'll be I, I keep looking forward to when we eventually get into Daniel and talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, specifically in the fiery furnace, and how we see literally, we see literally how God is with them through that trial, and and even though before. They're saying, well, even if God doesn't save us from this, uh, we know he's going to be with us in it. And keeping that faith that God will be by your side the whole time. Mm, I like this verse, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I formed him. Yes, I have made him. God, God made us for a purpose, and the greater part of that purpose is bringing, is, is bringing glory to him. Now, what is ex- exactly does that mean? I'm sure that's another study. We could probably spend days talking about it. What does it mean that we were made to bring God glory? But uh, we talked here a little bit before about we are his friends. He is our friend, and we collaborate with him. Adam and Eve were intended, I, I fully believed, Adam and Eve were intended to expand the Garden of Eden to encompass the whole world, and they were going to work with God in that, and and uh, that would have absolutely brought glory to God. As you see, a beauty, the beauty of the world as it as it ex- that garden expanded because a garden is a special place. Obviously, it means that 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 garden was different from the rest of the world, and and um, I th- I think that I think that mankind was intended to work with God, and. And have a much more hands-on influence in the world than what we maybe uh, consider now. I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Only God is our salvation. Only, oh, there, is, there is no other way for us to, to attain that salvation. We think of salvation generally as 
eternal life. But um, it's more than that. I think it's our hearts. It's how we think. It's how we interact. It's how we how we perceive things and that salvation comes only through him. The chapter ends with this pleading and the pleading is basically you have not called upon me, Jacob. That's the, that's the literally you haven't called upon me. If they had, if they had kept their mind on God, if they had continued to rely on God, which is where Hezekiah really was trying to take the kingdom but it's like it's a little too late at this point. But um, if they had been actively trying to work with God, they wouldn't be in the position they're in now. But uh, but he does say, I blot out your transgressions for my own sake. And that's an interesting concept, too. What does that mean? That our transgressions get blotted out for his sake. And that's that's more study for for more down the road, considering what that means, what that what that means for his glory and, and such. We have to call on God. We need to call on him. We can't, we can't just live our lives. We can't just do what we want to do. You know, every man did what was right in his own heart. That never, that never turned out well. Never, ever, ever. Anytime we've read it in the past, it never did. And as we've seen with Hezekiah in his example, that the times that, that we're, we read that he specifically reached out to God, and we see how it really did work out well it's just been sort of too little too late because because the snowball effect has has uh it's rolling them down the hill and they're gonna have to get to the bottom and that is essentially the reading for the week there was a lot there in those last few chapters there was a lot of of concepts and deep concepts some some deep things to consider next week i believe we will look at isaiah chapters 44 through 48 We'll continue in Isaiah and see what other wisdom that he has for Judah. While you're waiting for that, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can find us on Facebook. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and your neighbors. And uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast that we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.